Dr. David White here for CRIM 260, uh, Juvenile Delinquency Prevention and Control, talking about Chapter 7 in this episode. So a summary from Chapter 7 of our text on the family and delinquency. Learning objectives here include recognizing uh, the link between family relationships and delinquency, recognizing the complex association between family conflict and delinquent behavior, uh, discussing the nature and extent of child abuse, summarizing uh, the child protection system and, and stages of child protection process, explaining various uh, positions in delinquency child maltreatment debate. So that's our uh, stated learning objectives. Uh, the family is extremely important. It's an extremely important factor in determining delinquency. Though the traditional concept of family as a male breadwinner backed uh, by a female who stays at home and cares for things at home is a thing of the past, as the textbook says, uh, quote, unquote. Uh, today, about 70% of all mothers of school-aged children are employed. That's up from 50% in 1970 and 40% in 1960. Extended families are smaller and more dispersed and therefore less important and less likely to be around to help the parents parent the child. Okay, the nuclear family, that's the parent and their children, the parents, okay, is more of the focus, but divorce rates remain high with about half of all marriages ending in divorce. Uh, for second and subsequent marriages, those rates of divorce are even higher. This leads to single-parent households, uh, leads to blended families, which sometimes leads to more inconsistent discipline. Much of the responsibility of child-rearing child is delegated to the television and to daycare providers. Okay, The school or the daycare provider has the child more of their waking hours than the adult, the parent in their life. Uh, of the 75 million children under the age of 18, about 68% live with two parents. 27% live with one parent and 5% live with neither parent. Among those who live with one parent, about 87%, so the vast majority of them live with their mother, of children living with no parents, about half of 50, actually 57% of those live with a grandparent. There are significant racial differences in those children who live in two-parent households. Significant racial differences in those who live in two-parent households. Asians have the highest percentage at 85%, two-parent households. Uh, white, non-Hispanics, that's 75%. Hispanics, 58%, and Blacks, uh, or African Americans, 35%. Uh, the book talks about the issue of teen pregnancy. So teen moms are less equipped to handle being a mother. About 90% of all teens who give birth are unmarried, compared to about 62% back in 1980. It's almost all, 90%. Uh, that's a significant increase. Research shows that by age 14, uh, when compared to children of older moms, the offspring of teen mothers are more likely to have uh, disturbed psychological behaviors, poor school performance, poor reading abilities, uh, uh, and involved more in the criminal justice system. 
and they're definitely more likely to smoke and drink on a regular basis. There are actually um, fewer teen moms giving birth today than there were 20 years ago. Um, so that's good. Uh, the ability uh, of birth control and the legalization of, of abortion uh, has helped reduce the number of pregnant teens. Uh, and, the uh, and the teen birth rate in, in turn is now uh, 12 per 1,000. 12 per 1,000 uh, births are uh, or involve a teen mother, generally ages 15 to 17. And that is a record low. However, remain, there remain substantial racial and ethnic differences in teen birth rates, right? Hey, racial and ethnic differences in teen birth rates. It's four per 1,000 for Asians, seven uh, per 1,000 for non-Hispanic whites, 16 per 1,000 for American Indians, 19 per 1,000 for non-Hispanic blacks, uh, and 22 per 1,000 for Hispanics. So Hispanics uh, having the highest teen birth rate. When it comes to child care, about 49% of children ages uh, from birth through age four uh, with employed mothers are primarily cared for by a family member. Okay, so about half cared for by family members, 24% go to daycare where there's a center-based arrangement and child care is actually a good thing in that kids who are attending preschool more likely to graduate high school, less likely to be involved in crime as an adult. So child care is often expensive. Uh, the working poor families are most likely to suffer from inadequate child care and in, in situations where the child is not cared for in a formal daycare setting, okay, supervised by another family member or family friend, we have to be concerned about the increased chance they'll suffer from some type of abuse or neglect. When you take and you're paying to send your kid to daycare, uh, by and large, you're expecting those things are not going to happen, and in most cases, they're not. Those children who are gonna be abused or neglected during the day probably being watched by a family member or family friend. Book talks about family dysfunction, so textbook breaks down four types of family dysfunction, family breakup, family conflict, uh, family effectiveness, and family deviance. Family breakup, and so research indicates that children from broken homes where one or both parents are absent due to divorce or separation are more prone to be antisocial. Although most people who grow up in a single-parent household do just fine, differences between children in one and two-parent families are significant, and there is fairly good evidence that parental absence, per se, is responsible for some of the social problems. According to the textbook, these uh, uh, differences include more likely to demonstrate problem behavior, more likely to engage in substance abuse and antisocial behavior, less likely to finish high school or attend college, less likely to find a steady job, more likely to become a teen mom. The idea of the nuclear family, again, the two-parent household with the children, is important because broken homes uh, where one or, or both parents are absent due to divorce or separation is linked to delinquency. So children who have experienced family breakup more likely demonstrate problem behavior. Once divorced, that second subsequent marriage 
often leads to higher divorce rates, as I've already said. And this leads to what we call blended families, uh, where the nuclear family is a product, uh, really, of divorce and remarriage. And so blending one parent from each of the other two families and then combining children into one family unit. As the book points out, in some cases, divorce uh, might relieve other stresses in the house, and in that way, it may serve to reduce other uh, issues brought on by constant fighting between two unhappy parents, uh, which leads to the next point, which is family conflict. And so family conflict includes dysfunctional and sometimes violent households. Uh, we don't get to pick which families we're born into, and so sometimes those arrangements are not good. Parents uh, with emotional and mental issues, substance abuse problems, co-occurring issues that make life basically miserable uh, for everyone else. And so in some cases, however, uh, bad kids make bad, uh, uh, in, in some cases, bad kids actually make bad families. That is to say, parental conflicts cause delinquency in some cases, and in other cases, delinquents create family conflict. Okay, you got that brother or sister that was and turned out to just be a complete ratchet ass, as you might say. Uh, and their constant uh, uh, issue with the law, that led to conflict between your parents that ultimately caused more problems. Uh, grew up with delinquent brother or sister, you understand what I'm saying. And so uh, perhaps you saw the toll that it took on your parents' relationship with one another and on the rest of the family and the uncertainty that it brought. Regardless, this intra-family conflict destabilizes that family unit, and in doing so, uh, it creates a risk factor. Overall family effectiveness, if uh, uh, you've ever seen that mother or family at Walmart with Mountain Dew and their kid's baby bottle, well, uh, we've seen that, right? And so uh, you don't have to look too far to see that some parents aren't doing a very good job uh, there's no clear guidebook on proper parenting, and not all parents are equipped to handle it, okay? And they're not all going to win Parent of the Year. As previously discussed, social scientists uh, use the phrase parental efficacy, parental efficacy, uh, to express the idea that families uh, in which parents are able uh, to uh, integrate their children into the household unit while at the same time helping them assert their individuality and regulate their own behavior, right? Are your parents good at parenting or not? If they are said to have good parental efficacy, if they're not, not so much. Textbook points out four major issues related to effectiveness. Harsh discipline, inconsistent discipline, poor communication, uh, and the mother's employment as an issue of supervision simply here, uh, though the evidence is decidedly mixed. Uh, or whether it is linked to the delinquency, okay? And that, for that matter, it could be either parent that works uh, uh, too much and you have less supervision. Uh, finally here, an issue of resource dilution. Uh, uh, resource uh, dilution uh, is, uh, and uh, I'm talking about a condition that occurs when parents have such large families that their resources, such as time and money, or spread too thin, causing a lack of familial support and control. Simply not enough thing, not enough food, not enough time, not enough love to go around. And so, according to the textbook, the middle child 
in the family is the one that suffers uh, the most when it comes to resource uh, dilution, and, and that's an issue. Obviously, larger families living in poverty are the most susceptible to this issue. Uh, the other issues are pretty much self-explanatory here. Next thing covered is family deviance. Research is fairly consistent in recognizing that deviant parents, particularly fathers, will produce deviant or delinquent sons who are more likely to be arrested. This finding uh, could be evidence of genetic factors, substance abuse, uh, reduced parenting effectiveness, parental absence, especially if the parent's incarcerated, uh, and the stigma, such as labeling theory might suggest, right? So uh, everyone in town knows that your, parent, that your dad is a, uh, a criminal, and so therefore they look at you in a different way and treat you different. And so uh, that then affects your life course. Next issue here is child abuse and neglect and moving from family dysfunction to issues of, of abuse and neglect. Textbook demonstrates the importance of these issues as they relate to juvenile delinquency. And child abuse and neglect are historically a problem that really uh, didn't get addressed in a modern sense until the 19th century. And even then it was treated far different than it is today uh, or even 50 years ago. Child abuse refers to any physical or emotional or sexual trauma to a child including uh, neglecting to give proper care and attention uh, for which there's no reasonable explanation uh, that can be found. Neglect, on the other hand, is, a, is an issue that refers to passive neglect of that parent or guardian, depriving a child of food, depriving them of shelter, health care, or love. Uh, of the two, abuse is the more overt form of aggression, though there are serious cases of neglect that occasionally make the news where the child is severely malnourished and basically abandoned. And abandonment refers to situations in which the parents uh, leave their children uh, with the intention of severing that parent-child relationship. Within the categories of abuse and neglect, we of course find physical abuse, hitting, striking, otherwise physically attacking a child. With infants particularly, we hear about children hurt or killed by what's called shaken baby syndrome. About 25 to 30% of infants, or of infant victims rather, of, of shaken baby syndrome die, okay? So those uh, who suffer from shaken baby syndrome, 25 to 30% uh, of those cases are fatal. Physical neglect, so the failure to provide the, for the physical aspects of the child's life, food, shelter, medical care, those sort of things, emotional abuse, maintain uh, or manifest rather by constant criticism, rejection of the child, emotional neglect and inadequate nurturing and attention to the child's emotional development. Sexual abuse, of course, includes exploitation of the child through rape, incest, molestation by the parent, family member, friends, and so forth. Um, the extent of abuse, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, has an annual survey of child protective services and the most recent data available to us show that there were an estimated 3.4 million referrals of children being abused or neglected in a given year. 3.4 million referrals to child services or child protective services each year. 
Of those, CPS estimates that about uh, 678,000 children, 678,000 children, about 9 out of 1,000 were actually uh, or confirmed victims of some type of maltreatment. 78% of the cases were neglect, about 18% were physical abuse, about 9% are sexual abuse, and about 11% are some other forms of abuse or neglect. About 1,600 children each year die as the result of neglect. That's about 2.2 per 100,000, uh, with about 70% being from neglect and 30% of those being from physical abuse. About 70% of child maltreatment cases involve children under the age of three. This is important. 70% uh, of these cases involve children under the age of three. More than a third of victims are under the age of four, and two-thirds are under the age of seven. Right, and so, uh, so a lot of these children, um, uh, very, very young. Boys uh, and girls are almost equal uh, in their chance of being victimized, but African-American children, Pacific Island children, uh, American Indian and Alaska Native children suffer abuse rates uh, per 100,000, far higher than European American children, Hispanic children, and Asian children. That according to our text on page 195. So who are the perpetrators? Well, about four-fifths of the victims were abused or neglected by a parent, either acting alone or someone else. Nearly two-fifths of the victims were maltreated by their mothers acting alone, and another fifth uh, by their father alone. About one-fifth were maltreated by both parents. And so only about 10% of victims uh, were victimized by someone other than a parent. So uh, extremely important for you to remember. Of all factors associated with child abuse, there uh, three are... Uh, discussed most often as parents who themselves suffered abuse tend to abuse their own children. Uh, the presence of an unrelated adult increases the risk of abuse. Okay, so a boyfriend or girlfriend. And isolated or alienated families tend to become abusive. What does that mean for COVID era? Think about that. Being a stepchild increases the likelihood of victimization. I know it sounds cliche, but that is a statistical reality. Stepchildren overrepresented uh, uh, not only in victimization, but in the number of uh, uh, homicide cases here where a spouse or one of the other uh, children are slain. Uh, though child abuse cuts across racial and social boundaries, there are higher rates of child abuse among low-income families. This may be because of stress caused by limited resources that lower class parents have uh, to help them in raising their children. So again, correlated here with poverty. Uh, the process of case flow in these abuse and neglect cases uh, is offered in the text on page 199 and figure 7.4. I encourage you to check that out. Process may vary from state to state, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time uh, on those details. However, it is important to recognize that among the estimated 3.4 million referrals to Child Protective Services, only about 10% of actual cases go to criminal trial, about 10%. And so just to summarize here real quickly from the perspective of this class, 
uh, we are really concerned with the damaging effects of child abuse and neglect as they relate to delinquency. We're concerned by what this type of social dysfunction at the family level does to distort a young person's perception of reality and ultimately create a delinquent or criminal adult. This includes the individual's propensity towards violence, uh, including violence within their own future familial relations, uh, as well as uh, uh, they mature and become parents themselves, and ultimately sort of this cycle of violence whereby abused kids become abusers themselves. We're concerned with that. So we'll end there for chapter seven. As always, of course, if you have questions, email them to me or otherwise reach out.